Welcome to Advanced Practice Weekly, the weekly advanced practice podcast from the Faculty of London. Today we have a special guest, we have Claire Sutherland with us. So I'm going to ask Claire to introduce herself and she's going to tell you a little bit about her many roles and her professional background. So welcome Claire, can you tell us all about yourself? Good morning, thanks Natalie. Yes, it's a pleasure to be with you and to share a bit of me, myself, my journey really with you and hopefully it can and help some people. So my name's Claire Sutherland and I am based in University Hospitals Derby and Burton. I'm a nurse by background, a very proud nurse by background. With a history, uh, I guess my career-wise, I commenced, I uh, trained at Barts in London and I did acute medicine initially and then moved into adult ITU at Barts. So that was cardiothoracics, neuro and general ITU. And then I moved to Addenbrooke's in Cambridge, again into ITU, adult ITU, where there was more of a transplant group of patients that we would look after as well as general. And I was there for a number of years, like many, was unsuccessful in getting a sister post in ITU, thought it was the end of the world, wasn't the end of the world, because actually I decided to take the opportunity to learn and get some more confidence around paediatrics because we had a ped ITU there. And so I moved across to ped ITU, loved it and did my children's training. And I remained there for five years, but I was like lots of people getting pulled into management and leadership and the assistant role, including bleep holder and covering the floor, et cetera, et cetera, which was taking me away from the clinical aspects, which I really enjoyed. So I made a decision to move back to adults when I was six. I, I took the gamble that if I went for a post and I got it, it was meant to be. And if I didn't, then it wasn't. And I got a post as a medical nurse practitioner in an adult setting again. So I moved back into adults. And that was really the start of my nurse practitioner, as it was then, journey. And actually, I'm so grateful that actually I didn't get that sister post in ITU because it's meant that my career in advanced practice really has moved forward and it's been an amazing 20 plus years now so yeah so that's my background amazing so it actually brings us on to the topic that what we're going to be talking about today is the kind of the lead ACP or lead advanced practitioner role so can you tell us a little bit more about your role because we've got a lot of people in the London region that have either got the advanced practice lead in post or they're looking to get it in post or it's very much in its infancy and most people may have heard about your journey but you've had that really interesting trajectory into advanced practice and some of the work that has been done at Derby has trailblazed the rest for others so it's a really good opportunity for us to learn from you but also from your mistakes to help people with them so what exactly is your role currently can I ask Claire? So yeah so my current title is now Associate Director for Advanced Practice in Derby all very fancy but we didn't get there straight off so I joined Derby in 2004 and I was I'd done my master or I got one more year of my master's there weren't ever there weren't other advanced practitioners in the organization at, at that time and it did take seven years I think it was of knocking on doors knocking, my my line manager was associate director of nursing it was one of those situations which probably people will completely understand is that they didn't know what an ANP was as such I didn't know what uniform so I got put into specialist nurse uniform all of this I'm sure uh, reverberates with lots of others that might be listening but it was through the RCM political leadership program actually that because I'd been knocking on the doors and I was on the RCM forum at the time and I was 
like, how am I going to get the hook? How am I going to get them to actually sit up and listen to say, we don't know what we've got. There's a whole variety of different titles, different standards, etc. How are we going to sort this and how are we going to take this work forward? So I decided to repeat really what we already knew out there in research, which was there's lots of different titles, lots of different bandings, no standardisation, there's no quality assurance really, or governance around this so I just did a you couldn't call it an audit because it wasn't really anything to measure against but a survey of what we had within the organization and demonstrated to the chief nurse the in a chief nurse meeting this is the feedback and actually interesting I'd gone to the leads within divisions to say who do you perceive as being in an advanced role not the practitioners themselves because I thought I need to know management really. So from that piece of work, the chief nurse basically said, we need to do something about this. We need to get some governance around it. And we did that piece of work. We wrote an assurance framework, but I actually titled it the the task and non-finish group because it just felt, it just, it was great. And it wasn't aimed at anybody. It was tongue in cheek and it it wasn't done in a nasty way at all. But it was one of those situations where, well, this is great. We've done a really good piece of work. Now what? (laughs) Because it just sat there because nobody has time to actually take it forward and implement it because there was no lead role. So the chief nurse, you'll know, or that she was deputy chief nurse then, they've got like 10 minutes in their portfolio, haven't they, to think about advanced practice. And they don't have the time, and we know how complex it is for the, all of us that are in it, they didn't have the time to dedicate to it. And so it was in the too difficult to do box almost. And so we'd done a good piece of work and then it sat there. So again, uh, one, of the, one of the characteristics that I see for leads of a, for all advanced practice actually is resilience <laughs> and perseverance, definitely. So again, I was on the knocking on the door, metaphorically speaking, to say, can we do something with this? Can you not find some money? And I'll embed it. Just give me a few months and let me get it going. So she actually found some money down the back of the sofa. And so I got two days a week uh, initially out of my clinical role on acute medicine to look at the framework and how we could actually embed it into practice. And so that that was for six months. That's all she had to start with, two days a week. But I thought, you grab it, don't you? Absolutely. And then we'll see what, how it goes from there. And that's six months went into a year, went into two years and went to two and a half years. So yeah, that basically was the catalyst, was that piece of evidence. Now, I don't think people need that so much now, although it could be still useful for a lot of places to actually, who haven't, to say, this is what our organisation has. We don't really know. And there isn't any standardisation and there isn't any governance. It's finding the key message that I took from that political leadership programme. You need to find the right hook. And for organisations, that's often people think finance is the only hook, but it isn't. Patient safety governance are going to be a really key hook for you. Quality, demonstrate something or shove something under the noses of those (laughs) that are in charge and say, look, this is what I found and here's a solution to it. I want support to take this forward. So yeah, so that was Catherine. Yeah, that's definitely a message that's going to resonate with a lot of people. And I think that's not to, it's really great to hear that actually, you, I think people think that you've got to go full hog, but actually what you're talking about is that that's been a real challenge over a number of years and you're not going to get there overnight. And that is absolutely fine. And I think you just need to take those starting steps. And if it's a couple of days a week you can get or a little bit of funding to push that role forward, it will be the only way that you can take it forward. And, and actually scoping sounds like a good first place to start for those that haven't already undertook that work because you're talking about back in 2004 you're having these issues about ill-defined roles and I think actually that's something that we're still struggling with today so it's a really good place to start absolutely I guess that's where 
started and how would you say the role has evolved since then? Yeah so since that like I said I did the six months a year then two years and two and a half years and then I did actually because I was doing this on the same we recruited another couple of practitioners through role modeling really that people are so it's interesting because people come and say we've got business case often and I and actually within Derby a lot of it was role modeling that it was building up that level of mainly from the consultants to demonstrate so they were like oh we could do with a couple more of you and so we did we did mm-hmm. recruit another couple of people that ACPs into acute medicine and we've got a couple in ED at that point and then so we had got a couple of people but I was doing writing the curriculum and taking on the leadership aspect of it and trying to drive it forward and I'd been at that point then also was stepping into supporting Derbyshire take things forward as well and so I did actually put forward for a review of my job description so that that got formalized then and I got moved at that point under the medical director from sitting under the director of nursing but maintained a really it was really interesting maintained a really close link with the director of nursing so lots of communication but actually from a life management point of view a decision mm-hmm. made to sit under medicine and that was a deliberate move partly because we had a new medical director came on board so it was there was a natural change in the executive team but also some of the barriers that we were facing were more aligned to medicine than they were within the nursing AHP remit and probably because I come from a nursing background and work closely with the AHPs and have close conversation and communication with the director of nursing so what was needed was to build the link with medicine and and a way to do that was to actually report into that group and then get their assistance in trying to lift some of those barriers and move some of those barriers out of our way so it's changed in terms of my line management what I've learned from that as well is executive teams and senior managers change regularly so although when I first started in the lead corporate lead role uh, there was an awful uh, and I can talk as everybody knows but there was an awful lot of education work to do (laughs) to to educate and advise on and that was part of implementation of the assurance framework to of what this new being called ACP because as part of the assurance framework we'd made the decision it was pre-level of practice it was we'd made ACP a role so that they were against a clearly defined Mm -hmm. standard and we wanted to give them their own identity so for those of them you that know me and the team we're in bright red scrubs we're very visible and that actually although initially you think oh gosh what are we doing it actually was a real win because it really made us stand out (laughs) and helped us sell the role and open people's ears patients will come up and ask can I just ask who you are in red so that was all really beneficial for us actually to be very linked as a group but it needed to be against the standard but that needed to message needed to be put out there because the role of the corporate lead wasn't line management of every ACP they still are paid for by divisions so it was really professional expertise and I acted as a conduit really for from above the executive to team down in terms of workforce development etc and also from the divisions up who were looking at new roles etc so they had a single point of communication which they'd not had before and that was the key really to making this work is that you've got somebody that was living and breathing the advanced practice agenda and therefore able to support teams with what was required. And initially to start with, the line management was done by matrons and I, and that I wouldn't say is absolutely the recommended pathway, but when you're starting off, 
I think the big one of the big messages is going to be a dynamic process. So your team is going to grow, and with it, you're going to have to make your leadership teams grow and change as well. So what you start off with yeah. is going to look very different in ten years' time. So we started off supporting the matrons, and I, but I would sit in on appraisals initially with the matron so I could support them and then as we grew we put in a layer of leads ACP some of them were in training but these are experienced healthcare practitioners so it's not it's making yeah. sure that you acknowledge yeah they're a training ACP but actually they're an experienced leader so there's no reason why they can't support in terms of leading a team of other more novice training ACPs it might not be the absolute ideal because you're putting a different another pressure on them but they, it was very supported and so we put that layer in and that sort of grew. And I would then very much feed into the lead ACPs and the other ACPs that were in training as well. And it's evolving. It carries on evolving, basically. And so now, like I say, I was a corporate lead. I was the, a lead, then I was a corporate lead. And then I've they've rebadged it again as the role changes. To and The only reason we've got an associate director is because there were too many leads. <laughs> and it was getting very <laughs> about who's doing what so I guess there's a bit of a message there is it's a it's another title but it just was trying to make sure that there was clarity around the structure that we've got and I think it is really important because obviously I think even when you're in the role advanced practice is it's complex it's complicated you've got to have a really good understanding and it's really unfair to expect some people that have like you say have got 10 minutes in their portfolio to really understand the grips of it so it's really important that as advanced practitioners we take it take that role because it is important that someone's being the mouthpiece and the speaker for it and as you say you became that person that was living and breathing advanced practice which is exactly what people need to drive the role forward absolutely and it sounds like so being very flexible about your approach is really important and it almost sounds like you say you're adding like an extra layer each time in terms of improvement of governance like you're building up a pyramid to get to the gold standard and with each kind of barrier that you overcome you're adding another layer to the pyramid of improved governance quality assurance and I guess it's to say to those people that are embarking on that journey or just starting out that it's okay to start from the bottom and it is going to look very different is that what you're saying absolutely yeah very well said no it is and it's still we're not we're not there it's that continuum it's part of that quality assurance cycle isn't it we're constantly reviewing we do it with our right from the recruitment process We'll go out, we constantly reflect on our recruitment process because we're only as good as the people and that we actually bring through as well. We've got to make sure that we get the right people into these posts and then we need to make sure that we do everything we can to make sure that they reach their, reach their full potential so that we can mm -hmm. actually deliver the best patient care that we possibly can. So that whole process has to be constantly reviewed and looked at and is there something we can do differently? And you will sometimes go, because this is fairly... It's fairly new. Advanced practice isn't new. It's had 100 million different titles, etc. But to get to where we are now as a really embedded workforce, and it is new in, in terms of that in the structure. And so we are um, we are moving things forward and therefore we are learning as we go and we will make mistakes and you will say maybe it doesn't work quite as we envisaged it would. And so I think as long as there's that open culture of reflect and reflection to say, oh, okay yeah that didn't quite work and I'm really lucky in the Midlands because I've got James Pratt and Nottingham down the road 14 miles I've got Julia Taylor in primary care who works as a national sort of primary care lead as well from a Derbyshire wide perspective and linking into the national we're 
really fortunate. So yes, we have moved on forward further than some organisations, but other people then are doing it better possibly than we are because they've learned from others and they think, oh, well, no, we don't want to have seen someone else do it like this. Actually, what about if we think about doing it like this instead? And the messages that I'll always give, because we'll share any documents or anything that we've got, because there's no point in anybody reinventing the wheel and patients are patients, organisations are there to look after patients, so we'll share. But I'd always say, if you share and you take stuff, can you ping it back, improve it and then ping it back to me? So it all goes around the cycle because there's some brilliant minds out in advanced practice, absolutely amazing people who can do really great things. And we started off and I started off in the best way that I could at the time with very little else around me at that time. And it, I know it wasn't gold standard grade A pieces of work, but it was a start and it's what we had at that time. And then, like you say, we look at it, we try and make it better as we go forward. I think it's not being afraid to give it a go and set your expectations to be realistic. Like you say, you're not going to, we've got a slightly different model to some in Derby in our generalist approach, because that was the ask for our service, which is another really key point for people. But, and that's not acknowledging all of our specialist practitioners, our CNSs, AHPs that are working at the level of advanced practice. It's just that we were ahead of the HE piece of work. And so we, we consider both. <clears throat> but we've got 125 people in red now. So since 2011, when it was more formally brought in, the framework was more formally brought in, and we started more formal mm -hmm. recruitment, it has grown. And people will ask, you know, how many do you think you're going to need? I don't really know because our workforce requirements keep rising. So impact, therefore, our ACP requirements are going to rise as well. But there's only one set of workforce, sadly, and um, we haven't got enough of anybody. But yeah, you know, it's just we just have to keep your head up, make sure that you look, you're looking around you to what else is about and not be afraid to reach out and ask. There's a lot of there's like a, a web of people out there and a kind of amazing network. And people have often described it like these kind of networks as a bit of like a hive mind, because actually you've got all these amazing people out there doing their thing and actually to link into those is probably a really valuable tool as well. So, I mean, our part one of my roles at the center my, my main role I always feel is my UHDB hat but one of the one of the roles that I did for a couple of years was going around the country sporting NHSE it was NHSI at the time around implementation of advanced practice and I was really lucky to get to meet so many amazing people from organizations that were looking to introduce advanced practice and just as we found was that if you're going to really make advanced practice a success in an organisation, be it community, be it acute care, be it mental health trust, the leadership, not surprisingly, is essential. So having an ACP lead, those that have ACP leads really are seen to fly and it's so much easier, which goes back to what we said. But from the result of that, they started coordinating and gathered together trust-wide leads to offer that community of practice, that hive, like you say, so there is that learning. It just gives them that network to be able to share and we were just we had a meeting this week we just meet every quarter and like I say I only coordinate it um for people really but it, it's really coming together and it's a valuable resource for everybody <clears throat> because there is such great work and if you are starting off on the journey probably things have already been done and you don't need to start from scratch and but you might need to just put something out there and say has anybody done this before what did you do I think we were discussing enhanced level practice and advanced practice and how it's overseen and some really good discussion and debate with various people on the call this week from very experienced trust leads to 
people that have literally just started a few weeks ago and on their journey. So it works really well, but it's not just secondary care, although it just happens to be majority of secondary care, but that's probably because that's where my contacts have been previously. But yeah, we want to help the system really. So going forward, obviously it might be a great area for us to look at in terms of our primary care colleagues as well. So it sounds like there's a real benefit of having an ACP lead. Can you outline what some of the other benefits are to the role? Yeah, so I think, yeah, say uh, that point of contact, and now we've got the faculties in post as well, it's almost vital because how does the faculty really impact or make an impact if they don't have a point of contact who's actually has an understanding and have the time? Because as always in the NHS, time is probably one of the biggest resources next to money, but they've got to have the time to be able to understand it. So that trust lead is absolutely really essential for the faculties to be able to function at their maximum effectiveness, really. And so for, and we're really fortunate to have the centre and we're really fortunate to have the faculties in place. I think that point of contact, but it's also, and we've alluded to really, advanced practice is massively complex and it's a huge matrix that's going on. And we seem to fix one problem. If I don't know whether the problem is the right word. We seem to find a solution to something and then it opens up a whole web of other <laughs> challenges ahead of us. And it's like, oh my goodness, now we've got to do X, Y, Z. And I think in order to get through any of this and to take it to the end point that we want, which is a really well embedded workforce of high level skilled practitioners, if you don't have leads, we know leadership and the impact good leadership can have, it's just not going to get there as we need it to. So the there's that link into the national work because of what's going on. And if we don't, then the trusts are going to fall short if they're not embedded and engaged with national developments are going so fast. If you don't have a lead, I don't know how anybody keeps up. I'm involved in national and regional work and it's still hard. I think the other benefits is if, we, so if you go back to the level of the practitioner level and those trainees, they need that support. They need somebody that understands because and it, medic, although multi-professional, a multi-professional workforce is not about replacing medicine. It's not about being a doctor in any way, shape or form. But there's no doubt that there's a lot of medics that are involved, say, in assessment of advanced practice still, especially if you're starting your journey. And they don't understand advanced practice. They're coming from a different place. They've had a different training process. Their assessments are very familiar to them, but they won't be familiar to an mm -hmm. ACP. So having an, having a lead and somebody that actually understands the requirements in, in terms of training, a link into the HEIs, a link into the faculties, a link up into your executive teams, and, and a go-to person for those trainees and other qualified ACPs if people are fortunate enough to have some. It's vital so that they, you can build that network and they've got that support. I think the one thing that we learned early on is being an ACP in training or an ACP qualified can be a very lonely place unless you've got others around you that actually understand. So I started off as the first ACP in our organisation. We've got Gary Swan for some know from Birmingham, who was a nurse consultant in Derby at the time I started, but left after about a year, which I've never forgiven him for. But when I first started, so it was almost like it was me and him. Uh, and then he left and it is a very isolating place so if you're going to be recruiting people you we always now try and recruit in cohorts so that people have a a cohort of colleagues that actually understand what it's what they're all going through they've got each other to support each other and that lead is there can oversee and support 
you need somebody to coordinate that process and have that level of understanding in that ear to say, yeah, I know what you're going through. And it is really tough because you can be out, and I'll give an example on the ward, you're probably the only one in your bright red uniform in this midst of nurses in theirs, AHPs in their uniforms with a very clear professional identity, medics in their groups, and then there's the ACP. That can be quite a lonely place to be. So you do need to have that level of support and therefore you need the leadership that understands the process that you need to go through. So I think there's lots of benefits to having the lead role, but the communication the leadership can offer is absolutely essential. And I think it puts in, if people are going off off piece a little bit within the organisation because they've got another idea, you can give them a an expert ear and maybe bring them back into the fold a little bit to say that's probably not really going to work because you've hopefully, luckily enough, been engaged in some kind of community where you can run things past mm-hmm. and other people have learnt and say actually that's probably not the greatest thing for us to do. It's yeah, and I think you're right about that support system of it being a lonely place. And particularly if you've got a bit of a beacon of a uniform but yet you need that kind of support system behind you as well yeah there's no hiding in a bright red scrub is there no absolutely not so I guess really what have your lessons learned from your processes so far and what have your barriers been and have you knocked those down or what barriers are still out there that you're you're trying to as you say knock on that door there's probably the most important question (laughs) that you (laughs) are the most difficult to actually answer and not because I'm not willing to share the lessons learned in any way but it's quite it is quite difficult sometimes so I think the first barrier that we if I go to the barriers the first barrier that we came across was getting medicine to understand and the what we meant by satisfactory progress because I can always still remember and this will resonate for any of the supervision assessment leads probably especially so in terms of barriers, I think one of the one of the greatest barriers that we came across initially wasn't that medicine was a barrier or medics were a barrier, but it was the fact that they're not ACPs and they didn't understand the journey that we've been through. So a good example for us was a very supportive consultant who met with me and said, this is great, I'm really happy to support this trainee, but I don't actually understand what it means by meets uh, satisfactory progress because I don't quite know the, what I'm expecting of them. And that was uh, that sat with me, and I suddenly thought, oh God, that's a fair point. And actually, the lesson that we learned from that is that you've got to engage with those supervisors and you need to educate them about advanced practice. So, not and the complexities around advanced practice because they will just go into what they understand so they'll go into that mode of I understand medicine this is the level of practice say for a foundation doctor or a CT level doctor etc and I understand that training so they'll apply what they've done to that practitioner so they've got to understand the end point and they've got to understand what you're trying to do and achieve and they've got to understand where that practitioner's come from and that really came through in Deb Harding's supervision document which is amazing and has really pulled together the challenges. And some of the other barriers, and it's not, I think some of the barriers initially, when we first were kicking off, was getting teams to actually have confidence that we weren't developing a workforce that were going to go out there and do harm to patients. So it was gaining that confidence. And I mentioned earlier about the role modeling and the sort of evolution of advanced practice rather than a sit down planned we're going to have 20 of these and 10 of these and five of these because actually we could have done that but it wouldn't have worked because I haven't got 
I hadn't won hearts and minds enough at that point and there was very much the need to win hearts and minds and I still recall sitting in the chief nurse office with one of the surgeons having written the framework and we'd got it established in medicine and we got it established in ED and it still took me three years to get trainees into surgery but if I tried to take trainees out of surgery now I'd probably hung drawn and quartered I think so once you've got, but it was, it, it's partly comes back to the political leadership program as well. It's finding the hook and there's always timing. So the timing has to be right. You've got to have communicated and they've got to feel comfortable because if you try and force a role in without having the support structure that's needed in there, it probably won't work because you'll, you have to have the engagement initially of expertise in the clinical environment. And if you're starting from scratch, that's going to probably be a medical workforce to helping support this developing workforce you might have to go slower than you want to and that can be really frustrating so I think perseverance and patience is really key and if you get knocked back the first time that's fine go back take a breath go with the early adopters work with them and make it work because even in medicine which was a real early adopter for us and really were great very supportive not all of we have a ACPs that work throughout specialist medicine and they rotate throughout all the specialties rather than a respiratory ACP and a cardiology ACP and a gastro etc etc and when we first started cardiology and stroke didn't want didn't want slash didn't feel the need for ACPs so they weren't and we said that's fine that's okay let's go with gastro renal endocrine etc respiratory and after a year the next recruitment it was like well we could do with some of those so it was very much because that consultants talk to each other and it was like well, we use them and they see them down working alongside initially because they were trainees and being supportive but they were getting very good feedback it's really great having that consistency and there's a trusted pair of hands and they're not doing harm to my patients they're not going out and sticking things in people without any training and education etc and all of this works along the educational provider locally but very much supported by us and a and a, a planned program of training and development for people which was really important so I think work not to be afraid if you do get knocked back but just to that patience was needed now the biggest I'm going to share the biggest lesson that I've learned and it'll probably be people are going well of course you should have done that it's obvious but my and I put my hands up and I have learned my lesson is because we started evolving rather than a very structured planned process I didn't collect any data initially and that makes it and it's still very difficult even if you do collect data to actually demonstrate impact so our impact is very anecdotal and it would have been really great to have better data and I know there's some brilliant people out there who would have done a much better job at that aspect than I absolutely have but if I was starting off again, and actually I was talking to somebody from infection control yesterday, wants to put in an ACP into the OPAT team in Derby. I was saying the first thing we need to do is collect some baseline data, measure improvement, because that's what we didn't do previously. And so you can't, and you can't go back 10 years later or even five years later to try and do it. It's very difficult to try and get that data respectively. But then it is a lesson learned, but then later down the track, we've also tried to measure impact and show the impact economically, really, of having ACPs. And we have the support of HEE and even the, a, a proper health economics team found it quite challenging. So I, that made me feel a little bit better, but it's actually not an easy thing to do. And I guess 
there's a need. We're not taught these things. It's really, that's the other thing I would say. If you're going to be a lead, get yourself on some quality improvement training, SAP, and the QSIP course has been, which I've been sitting in on. I've done some quality assurance impact training previously, but the QSIP training has been really good as well. And I would recommend that would provide you with a really good understanding to take things forward so that you can measure that impact and demonstrate impact because that will help you get your argument for more later on because I'm absolutely 100% that they're even though it's anecdotal because I can't give you the stats but I can tell you that I know that we get great feedback and that it does make a difference I just can't quantify it in numbers that's the problem but I guess that for everyone listening it's great news for everyone listening because they can really now see the importance of gathering that data so if anything you've yeah. done the kind of the rest of England a huge favor in that sense if they're starting out but that data collection is really key yeah. and a great way to get you experience in that as you said is that quality improvement data I think it's also really yeah. interesting to pick up if you're starting out is that recognition like you said of those really supportive colleagues and that they're not going to be they might not be everywhere to begin with but if you see that really supportive colleague whether it be a surgeon or a medic or a consultant or wherever they be to cling on to them and, uh, and take them with you yeah. on their journey yeah. and like you say that will help you win hearts and minds and it's that resilience like you say the amount of times I think we're all very used to being knocked back and feeling really dismayed when it doesn't go but I think it goes hand in hand with being an advanced practitioner is that you are that kind of tenacious individual because you do want to push forward clinically and within the other four pillars and just to say like you say it might not be the right time but it's okay to go back at that and you will get there eventually and like you said having that resilience to take it forward I think it's really important do you have any other practical tips for those starting out in the role so I would say make building relationships one of your key priorities because advanced practice touches all areas within the organization and so building those relationships and getting not I wouldn't say get your face known but people need to know of you I wouldn't say I made the finance director my best friend but I definitely made contact <laughs> now I have no direct need actually directly I don't hold a budget for our ACPs they're paid for and looked after by well, not looked after now paid for by the divisions they have yeah. their budget I don't hold the budget so in theory I don't need to but I absolutely see it's important that the finance director has that level of understanding of advanced practice because ultimately the divisional leads yeah. will be going to them to say we need money for blah 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 so uh, making sure that you touch all those touch points building those relationships helping that level of understanding going for coffee and just having a chat with people is it's leadership, but it is so important. And that's what I've found has really helped. And outside of the organisation as well, with the complexities, it comes back to the networking with other trust leads or even, and not being afraid that they're not directly linked into our organisation. It's primary care, but actually primary care does link into all of us, doesn't it? That's why we've got ICS as a system. So building that relationship with other people that are passionate, even if they're not directly in your organisation, someone to just throw ideas across to, to say, we've got this and blah 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 and so I think that the development of relationships around advanced practice to all the touch points is probably one of the key lessons that I would pass on just say don't be afraid to go and your medical director mm -hmm. your chief exec your chair if you're passing just oh hi how are you they get to know and put a face to a role or to a level of practice and get that understanding get in there we've got our trust yeah. our 
team leads now and our senior leadership team and as part of that I want the executive team to really know about these people so we get one of them to come as an exec to come and explain about their role and what they're interested in what they're doing but actually it's as much about us understanding what they're doing as them seeing a room full of faces that are actually driving advanced practice for them. it's half an hour out of the exec's time but really valuable time yeah. both ways so it's a two-way process so I think that's the other part of my role really is making sure that those contacts are developed relationships are formed and then um, those contacts are made where they need so that we can benefit not being afraid to say I don't know how to do something and going to your strategic lead because I've not written a strategy before or whatever can you give me some help and advice people are very happy to support at a higher level and it's having that confidence they're not in an ivory tower at that, that senior level so if you move into one of these roles very often you do feel like oh god it's level five or whatever for us in Derby but actually these guys are all on the same mindset they want to make hospital work as effectively as it can for our patients and you're part of that making that happen so they want to hear they want to know what's going on they want to hear what are the problems that you're having etc and they might be able to they might be able to help open a door for you or even just get it unlocked even if it's unlocked that's fine then you've got an opportunity to get through later on and I think that's really nice to if you remember why you're doing it and ultimately it's better patient care isn't it and even when things feel a bit terrifying like you're saying getting into the ivory tower and feeling like you're at the bottom of it as a, a clinician it's remember why you're doing it to give you that kind of little bit of Dutch courage to get you there because ultimately it will improve patient care yeah absolutely and it's all about it's about people, whether they're patients or your team. And the executive team are just other members of the healthcare team. Uh, they're not yeah. sitting to one side and they wouldn't want to be, I'm sure, there's no organisation really where they want to be seen as separate. They should be uh, another cog in the whole big wheel of healthcare delivery and the patient at the yeah. centre of that. If we're going to get it right, the only way we'll do it is if we all do it together. So we're taking everyone with us, which is great. Yeah. Do you have any other quick and easy wins that you think people starting off in post could uh, could benefit from? Be realistic, definitely. So don't try. It's like you say, how do you eat an elephant a bit at a time? Um, <laughs> and I think that, that, that analogy isn't there that or that if you're very visual, which I'm quite visual in my practice, that climbing that mountain and those steps, yeah, it's a massive mountain that you've got to climb, but actually just look at the step in front of you. Yeah. Just Otherwise you'll be completely overwhelmed about how you're going to get through this. And don't use markers of, of trust that are, don't use Derby as your marker in some respects, because we've been at it, if you think about it, I've been at it for nearly 20 years yeah. um, in Derby. So you're not, be realistic and think, I'm not going to really achieve everything that I might want to achieve yeah. in the next six months or a year. And if you do, say if you do get knocked back, that's fine. We all get knocked back. Look at it, find another way. There's a, there'll be another way around. But yeah, I think that being realistic, get some quick wins is going to get uh, some support around you so that you don't feel yeah. that you're on your own because you're not. So if you get put into a lead role, one of the first quick wins is get in touch with me and let me engage you into the trust leads. And we have what we were keen to do in the message. This isn't trying to be an ivory tower and say that other ACPs can't join this group but the group was specific for this more strategic leadership aspect yeah. so that people had a network where they're trying to problem solve the same thing together so rather than some of the Facebook pages which are for our ACPs or trainees that are working as their ACP in their role etc cetera, etc cetera, and they need that their support as well this was specifically to meet that need so it's not a formal formal terms of reference type group it is a 
a community of practice, but it's, it is for those organisational leads. But that could be primary care, it could be a community trust, mental health trust. It just happens that the majority are acute trusts who are there. But there's 120 on the group at the moment. So there's a massive, I did say on Twitter the other day, because I wonder how many years of experience we've all got between us. And I think Phil Good from Warwick said, I think it's probably best not to go there. <laughs> <laughs> a lot. There's some very brilliant young minds that are on there as well, but some of us have been around a long time, it feels like. Because I, I can remember, I said, when I started the journey, very tongue-in-cheek saying, oh, I'll crack this before I retire. But actually, I don't think I'm going to, because I'm hoping to retire in a few years. And at this rate, I'm not sure I will have ever cracked it. <laughs> but that's a good thing, because you don't ever settle on your laurels and think, I've made it, because I don't think we do. We're always looking to make it better. So. Yeah, and in a way, the second that you think you have, that's probably when you dangerous off the ball exactly so basically that is an acp lead network and they can get in touch with you and obviously we can put your details in the bio and they can join basically other leads from across the whole country across england yeah that are leads and and how do people use that that network what how what are people doing on there what kind of things can you ask is any question a silly question yeah how does it work no questions are ever a silly question ever so all questions welcome so it probably is to reinforce it's a leads network but it wouldn't be a team lead so if you're in an organization and you're overseeing your team it wouldn't really be from that perspective it would be your organizational lead that we would ask to come and join us so that they can then take that learning and share that with their own teams but so if you're in one of those positions Mm -hmm. please do get in contact with me the best way is via email it's basically currently an mm-hmm. email network, so I'd add you to the group with your permission, so from a GDPR perspective. People will just go onto it and say, has anyone got, a, a, I don't know, job description for blah, blah, blah? Or has anyone had the issue around, uh, one of the current things is an issue currently around yeah. um, pay and additional pay. There's a lot of HRE, but then there's the, has anybody had any experience with rotational yeah. posts? community and in the acute trust or training difficulties or I think our next session is going to be looking at supervision interestingly Mm -hmm. last one we looked at was career development these strategic leads these trust leads are looking at how am I going to recruit the right people how am I going to keep the right train them properly and how do I keep them so that's that career pathway that strategy for this workforce how do we develop this what does it look like what are other people doing have people implemented anything locally to them that they would share with us because there's no point in us all in our own little groups starting from scratch but doing the same piece of work let's share it and build on it together so it can if you want it on a you see somebody on the group and it, you think well, I only want to actually speak to them and you've got the contact there with but in general and then on three four times a year I'll put on a morning so we do a 9:30 to 12:30 session we will put it out there to the group it's very much a lateral a very flat hierarchy it's not from me down I'm just like I say hosting it and then say has anybody got anything they want to share it particularly or have a challenge at the moment and then we'll look for people that might have started to move towards a solution and they would then present to us and that's they won't go and say I've got it 100% right well they might do but they'll probably be also looking to say has anyone got any ideas about how I can get around this problem here I don't know what to do usually there's about 50 60 of us on the call which is a good number of very clever people who are, it's a great, a great resource to be part of. And if people can't go, none of it's mandatory. If they say I can only drop in for an hour, is that all right? Brilliant. Yeah, that's fine. Come and go as you feel you need to. 
and then we're trying to build as part of that there's a lot of document sharing now the key message that we need to get across to everybody always as trust leads the document sharing is fine but that doesn't mean that i'm saying this is top quality it's not a quality assurance i'm not here yes. saying i'm a quality assurance person but i can share and you can have a look and you can take bits that might be of benefit that you might not have considered yourself or etc but rather than it always coming to some of the trusts that are a little bit further forward and getting increase in email traffic etc we're trying to build a repository so that there's a for the trust leads that there's a safe secure repository of, of data that's their information that they can go and tap into and say oh actually let's just have a look at that and it stops a few people getting constantly bombarded by requests which is not it's not a problem but it's just trying to work more effectively so that works absolutely at the moment but people are yeah anybody listening is a trust lead in I would say a we'd ask to be a trust lead and that's not trying to be elitist it's just trying to make the group manageable otherwise I'll end up with a thousand and we won't be able to hold the meetings because it's too many and then you start to actually detract from the purpose of it which was for the for an organizational lead to help with strategic development of course and like you say that is basically one of the main key points of the lead role is to coordinate that and be the center of yeah. that so that repository basically sounds like many people's golden ticket so i think this is a really amazing resource to be tapped into so that's a really great step in that group really we've talked about a lot of things where do you see the next steps to be what are the opportunities for the future so i it's interesting because we've been having talks recently with he around the credentials that are being developed which is a really important piece of work and a massively complex piece of work. So Sally Gosling is helping lead that piece of work or is leading that piece of work. I think she's an absolutely unbelievable person because it is hugely complex and it is a really good example of we try and resolve one issue or make something better and actually it opens up a whole lot of other challenges ahead of us. But some really good people that are developing some of the credentials. And we were talking about how we implement. There's been a series of workshops around implementation of the credentials recently and one of the I had one of the thoughts was we're moving into system-wide working or that we should be moving into system-wide working that in itself is not going to be easy but I really think that it's a, the start of a, another era potentially a practice for ACP to evolve and develop workforce as a system rather than as each individual organization doing their own thing in terms of advanced practice and I just imagine having I don't know you could call it an academy whatever a group that oversee recruitment that we all recruit wherever the person is going to be based or working we recruit as one together that we work on retention strategies as a system instead of doing it in in isolation in silos and that way that we can develop uh, improve standardization we can improve the assurance uh, around advanced practice because governance is still yeah. probably the next big piece of work that needs to be embedded across trust and that's largely where the network started actually it was organizational leads needing to make sure that the governance was in place around this workforce and sharing how we can do that and James Pratt is developing a governance framework principles for HEE to build on but I think if we could work across as a system it would be easier from a governance perspective as well because you've got just one system with one set of governance instead of each PCN plus each or acute trust plus mental health trust in each ICS so I, th I do think there's a massive opportunity moving forward and I think in the next decade we'll see advanced practice uh, really getting its foothold 
getting more settled because we've been through quite a sort of turbulent period of development and as Beth the amazing Beth Harden always says we're building the plane as we're flying it and we absolutely have been doing that for the last nearly a decade mm-hmm. I would say but I think the next decade it will smooth out a little bit and not that we're going to sit on our laurels in any way but I think the foundation is a bit more secure it's yeah. there we've got courses we've got groups of experts that are there for as a resource there's more and more organizations that have an expert a lead in place and there's more coming on board and so as we get that stability I think we'll move to another level and there'll be an opportunity to look up and out and look at the system and actually I think we can probably do this even better if we did it like this because we've got the basic understanding now and we've got standards we now can apply those and how are we going to apply those and the credential work is part of that making sure there's that clinical assurance and standardization so it's really very exciting time for advanced practice isn't it because like you say there's been a lot of work out there there's all these amazing people that have been doing their post and there's people that are about to start this post it's a really wonderful opportunity to take advanced practice forward so I just would love to hear what your take-home message is from all of this and from your experiences being the lead for Derby so I think probably first and foremost advanced practice is the most amazing opportunity whether it's a role by title I'm not going to get hooked on all of this but whether it's a role or whether you're working at a level of practice <laughs> the work that our advanced practice workforce do is absolutely phenomenal and I think that the conference that we had last year as HE the national conference was just amazing I think the team that put that on but the it's not just the team that put it on but the practitioners that were contributing whether they were asking questions whether they were attending online and being part of workshops etc etc the wealth of knowledge that is out there and the impact on our patient care the dedication that they provide and this isn't just advanced practice because I think healthcare and practitioners in general are a fantastic group but we've been through a really tough period and the ACP's resilience through all of that aspect I don't really like the word resilience actually but I've just used it twice has been great <laughs> uh, but it's keep going because it has been a tough period and if you're a lead of corporate leads trust lead whatever your title is associate director whatever it has been really tough it's been tough on your teams and it's been tough on you trying to drive and lead your teams going forward like I say I've been at this since 2004 starting my training in 2001 it's not a mean feat but keep going because it's worth it and keep that I think if you can keep the vision of why you're doing this at the core and it, it maybe it's a bit corny but we're all here to do it for patients and if you can just keep try and keep hold of that, it will help pull you through some of the more challenging periods, because there's no doubt about it. It's not an easy path that any of us are taking, but it's worth it. And I've often put that as my final slide, the L'Oreal advert. It's because we're worth it. And we are there's probably never a better I've kind of advert <laughs> there as well. There are other ways of shampoo. <laughs> yeah we are worth it it's worth it it's worth it for our patients so just keep going and if you need support it's out there you just got to reach out for it I think that is a perfect way to sum it up and I think I'm really hoping that you're going to hear for some more people that would love to join that that forum in the community of practice because obviously this is definitely a, a stronger thing that everyone is taking forward together and hashing out those governance processes and assurance and standardization that's just fantastic and that's really just a brilliant you and your team 
are doing a fantastic job. It's great to have these podcasts because I know it's London, but actually I know it goes wider than that. So it's that communication, isn't it? It's nothing new, but it's working really well. Thank you so much, Claire. It's been amazing to have you on the podcast. And yeah, we look forward to hearing from those new kind of corporate leads that are out there or people that have been doing the role that wish to join. Thank you so much for listening and any questions, please find us on Twitter or head over to the website to find our contact details.